Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body at Desert Springs Church. My name is Chase Jacobs. I'm the Minister of Theological Training here at DSC. I'm Drew Hodge. I'm the music guy. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about a project that uh, Drew and our worship team have been working on. Um, Drew, when you and I first started kicking around the idea of starting a podcast uh, pre-corona, one of the reasons that we thought it would be advantageous for our church is just a chance to kind of go behind the scenes on some of the things that are going on, explain more what our perspective and what our intentions are with certain ministries. There's a lot that happens at our church that not everybody gets to see. So we're excited to, to talk about this new project that's uh, being undertaken, converting all of these psalms that we're preaching through in this series of the Psalms 90 to 100 and, and writing our own versions of Psalms for those. Yeah, it's an exciting project and it came about pretty naturally as I emailed my music team to let them know that we would be going through these Psalms. And I said, man, it'd be great to have new arrangements or new settings to all of these Psalms. And people just ran with it. I mean, uh, several writers on the team have just been working hard to to put these to music, and it's been a really fun, uh, invigorating, energizing project for the music team to put these to music and to collaborate. It's created new collaboration groupings, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine, especially in this time where they're not getting to play with each other on Sunday morning, that we're not worshiping together as a church. It's just been you and our recorded services. So they're probably chomping at the bit a little bit to to get back in there, to be having that creative outlet through this project. Absolutely. As people created in the image of God, we, we desire to be creative. Mm. We desire to make things, to share in God's creation. Songwriting is no different. And so musicians, we desire an outlet of uh, creativity and when we can't play together like we usually do, we need that outlet. And this has provided a really good one. Yeah, this is a verse that we talk about often on this podcast and with each other from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How? By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, last week we talked about scripture memorization with Pastor Ron, and we alluded to this, that one of the best ways to memorize scripture, to embed it deeply in our heart, is by putting it to music, setting it to music. This is something that the church has done historically, even before there was the church uh, back in Old Testament times. They would sing songs that helped embed God's Word into their mind and into their heart so it could be recalled easily. And here, I love it, in Colossians, he specifically mentions psalms. So, Drew, why psalms? So, why do we sing psalms yeah. as a church? Um, yeah, that's a it's a good question. And but if if any of the reformers were here, they would scoff at the at the even the question of why we would sing psalms. Um, and many of them would say something like, "It's the Bible's songbook. Mm. We have a hymnal in the middle of our Bibles with 150 so- songs in it. Uh, so why wouldn't we sing God's word if we want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? Why wouldn't we sing those words? So in the early, early church, they would have sung psalms in the tradition of the synagogue worship. They would have just sang psalms. But then in the Middle Ages, that got lost as new uh, versions of just choirs, and they were singing in a different language, and, and congregational singing was lost after that. And and then the Reformers, uh, led by Luther and Calvin, really tried to recapture uh, congregational singing. 
as a reflection of the priesthood of all believers. And so, they wanted to bring singing back to the people. So, they, so they brought back psalters or uh, like song books of metered and rhyming psalms. So, psalms, but not just verbatim, whatever translation Bible you were using. They were actually versified or metrical versions of the psalms, so they could be, so they were more singable. And they would have melodies that they would sing these to, and the congregation would sing them. So, we sing, we sing them because they're in the Bible, and it's singing God's Word, and all of our songs, hymns, spiritual songs, whatever category they're in, should be based in God's Word and in God's truth, and should carry God's truth to our hearts and minds and in worship back to Him. But to talk more specifics of why the Psalms, um, John Calvin uh, called the Psalms the anatomy of the soul. It has everything we need. Uh, Tim Keller uh, called him a medicine chest for the heart. Luther called it a mini Bible full of doctrine, devotion, and doxology. So, the Psalms give us the words to praise God. It teaches us how God desires to be worshipped, how He desires to be praised. And first and foremost, it teaches us why we should praise God, who He is. It teaches us about His character, what He's done. I, I look at Psalm 150 uh, verses 1 and 2 as a very uh, pithy and power-packed uh, understanding of why we sing the Psalms. We praise Him according to His excellent greatness, according to who He is, what He's done, and we praise Him in His sanctuary, which could just be translated, we praise Him everywhere. Mm. We praise Him with His people, we praise Him in our homes, we pra- He's being praised in heaven, so we praise Him for who He is and what He's done, and we praise Him everywhere and all the time, and the Psalms really help us do that. And yeah, and I think especially because it is praising God in all different kinds of circumstances, I think that's why the Psalms have always been so helpful for God's people because they're not just songs written when somebody's really happy. A lot of them are written in the context of deep suffering and sadness and um, all of the different circumstances that life can throw at us. And yet, in every one of those cases, we're called to worship God. And so, to meditate on all of the Psalms, uh, you know, there have been so many times when I'm feeling discouraged or depressed that I turn to the Psalms and and I just feel like they're in technicolor. Like that psalmist was going through the exact same thing that I'm going through, and yet they're always turning their meditations to God. Absolutely. The Psalms give us words for our suffering. They give voice to our suffering, to our pain. Our every experience is found in the Psalms, pain, joy, trial, including salvation. And then along with those, um, they give us the responses to those situations, and namely, take it to God. Like Ryan just preached in Psalm 91, it's not a question of Uh, whether we will fear or not. It's what do we do with our fear? And these Psalms teach us to take those fears to God, take our anxieties to Him. And oftentimes, we really struggle with some of the Psalms because the language just seems, I don't know, too strong, Hmm. too, uh, like he's almost accusing God of wrong. But I think if we're careful to examine, uh, we will see that, that the psalmist is not accusing God, but he is, he's questioning yeah, he, he doesn't know the answer, but he knows that, that God knows the answer. And so, oftentimes in those psalms of heavy, heavy lament, or even uh, a category of psalm that, we, that is called imprecatory, where the psalmist is calling down judgment and hellfire on his enemies and asking God to judge and to destroy the wicked, we, we have trouble with that. 
but I think it's a right response uh, to sin and suffering in the world to be against what God is against, uh, but then to take our suffering and our questions to God, not accusing Him of wrong, but simply asking Him honestly, because we know that He has these answers, and He just doesn't always choose to give us the answers, but we can even trust Him even in His silence. Silence is a huge theme in the Psalms. Uh, God's silence doesn't mean that He is absent, doesn't mean that He has forsaken us. Uh, and you'll see in the Psalms many times they go from, God, why are you silent? Why, why aren't you answering me? Why do you ignore me? But I have trusted, because they remember, because they rehearse, because they sing, because they trust in what they know is true. In those times when things are unclear, they go to what is most clear, and most clear in His Word is who God is and what He has done. Yeah, you use the word honest. Uh, I have always been so encouraged by that with how the Bible is often more honest about our own emotions and the human condition than we are, or we feel right. like we can be. It knows us better than we do, and it knows, I love what Tim Keller says about the Psalms, it, it knows what medicine our souls need, and the Psalms provide that. Maybe if we have uh, time in another episode, we can explore more deeply uh, Hebrew poetry and the, yeah. the conceptions of Hebrew poetry and Hebrew imagery. We can have Pastor Ron on, and we can talk about the ins and outs of that. Um, when it comes to the Psalms specifically, which are all beautiful forms, of Hebrew poetry, we might find that this does not; these do not sound like songs that we would sing. Obviously, they've been translated, so any kind of rhymes that might have been there would have been lost. But really, Hebrew poetry didn't rhyme. At least, it didn't. It, it didn't frequently rhyme. They right, would make, not in the way that our modern music. Yeah, does. When, yeah, when we think of a song, we think of every other line rhyming, and and it all ties up with a nice little bow. What's interesting is Hebrew poetry would actually rhyme ideas. They would rhyme the lines in in these kind of couplets, whether they would contrast or compare with one another. And I've always found that amazing because that means you can translate it into any language, and that rhyming of ideas persists. It translates. It translates. Yeah. Like you said, we're not going to take a psalm verbatim as it's been translated into English and just get up and sing it. That that really wouldn't work for the context that we're in. So, there is a work that has to be done of taking the ideas in these psalms, putting them to a meter, putting them into a rhyme, putting them to music and melody that even matches the content of that psalm. There's, a, there's quite a process. So, Drew, let's talk a little bit about that process. How do you take a psalm translated from Hebrew into English and then translate it again, as it were, into a form uh, that we can sing on Sunday morning? For us at Desert Springs Church, the process started uh, back in 2010. We used to have a music uh, writing group or a songwriting guild, I think we called it, that would gather every month or so and discuss ideas and share songwriting ideas. And so, as part of that, I would send out a an optional writing assignment to say, here's something if you're if you're struggling with where, where to write or need direction. So, the, one of the first assignments I sent out was to take the day you were born, go to that psalm, and then put it to music. So, your birthday psalm. Because I was encouraged by my, my dad early on to memorize my birthday psalm, which is Psalm 13. Uh, so, so, I took Psalm 13, put it to music, and many of the other writers took their birthday psalms and put it to music. And I curated those psalms together into our first Psalterium, Volume 1. It had five different psalms, and including uh, on that one was uh, Psalm 115, which is was just one of my favorite psalms. So, after we did the birthday thing, we just moved on to people's favorite psalms, and we just started writing our favorite psalms. And then, 
we have moved into writing psalms for sermon series. Ryan has gone through the Psalms of Ascent, and so Psalterian Volume 3 is all Psalms of Ascent to go along with that sermon series. So, when Ryan said he was going to do Psalms 90 through 100, I thought, well, we don't have many of those uh, in song form. Some hymns that we're familiar with are based on these psalms, like, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past is, is Isaac Watts' treatment of Psalm 90. Joy uh, to the World. Joy to the World psalm is Psalm 98. 98. Very good. There's a few others, but I think there's something special to our people taking these psalms and putting it into a musical language that we understand, a shared musical vocabulary. I've often said to other music leaders in other churches that I look at our congregation as if they were personified into one person. If I could personify our entire congregation as one voice, what would their voice be like? Hmm. What would their vocal range be? What kind of music would they listen to? What kind of songs do they sing really well? Hmm. I've been at Desert Springs for 10 years now, so I have a pretty good feel for what our church sings well and what they don't. And part of that is they've adjusted and adapted to my voice and my leading style, and that's, that's very natural. So, I think there's something really special to indigenous original worship music. And I encourage all worship leaders, music leaders, worship pastors to be writing for your context, be writing for your people's voice and how they sing. Just like preachers, uh, if we wanted all the best sermons, then every church could just live stream or pipe in, you know, John Piper or Keller, whoever your favorite preacher is, onto the screen in your worship center. If we just wanted the best sermon, I think that there's, yeah, great value in curating good songs and good hymns from many, many writers, and we do that here. But I also think that there is a category of song uh, that is special to sing new songs in our congregation's voice. That's a long intro to how we got to uh, writing new psalm songs for uh, Psalms 90 through 100. I sent out the email, and then and then our writers got to work. Yeah, and that comes back to that situated honesty that these are songs that are coming out from our church right now. So, I think there's even something really special about we're writing these psalms, which are largely psalms of praise, praising mm-hmm. God for His reign uh, in the midst of a global pandemic. So, right. there's going to have some some special meditations coming out of that. Um, I reference this book quite often, but Don Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, uh, in his chapter about meditating on Scripture, he encourages uh, everyone, not just musically inclined or poetically inclined Christians, but everyone to try and take a take a portion of Scripture and write it into song because it is such a helpful means of meditating, of isolating what is the idea here? Have I really understood what this passage of Scripture is saying? Have I understood what this line is saying such that I can rewrite it in a way that sort of rhymes, you know, maybe maybe you're not getting it right every time, but but it's just a way of synthesizing that information and then producing something out of it that really buries it deep, deep down into your memory, having going through that process. Yeah, the piece surpasses understanding down in my heart where? Down in my heart, <laughs> uh, as, as we used to sing when we were kids. You're absolutely right. Music is God's gift to us to help us uh, remember to help us dwell, to help us meditate. Um, Music and songwriting in general is um, we're at the crossroads of where truth and beauty intersect. And you take the truths of God's Word, the Psalms, and you put it into, um, as John MacArthur would say, a vehicle 
to carry the truth. The music is the vehicle that carries God's truth to our hearts and minds and helps us to meditate, but then also to praise. Um, so, absolutely, this isn't an exercise that is just for uh, the most musically gifted or an elite uh, squad of musicians and writers. This this can be for all of us. I grew up in a singing home, so we sang everything, and that included we would sing the scriptures memory we would try to do. And I don't remember all of those songs, but at the time, th- those were really helpful uh, mechanisms to helping me learn scripture, helping me learn uh, the state capitals, <laughs> helping me yeah. learn anything. Yeah. Because science even proves that music, like you said, it embeds into our memories in a, in a different way than spoken word or reading or visual or anything else. So, music is God's gift to us to help us uh, meditate on His Word, and so we do that with the Psalms. Yeah, something that you can do that that I've done quite a bit is uh, I'm not musically inclined. I love music, but I can't put it together. So I will just take the tune to another hymn that I that I know really well, and I'll try and write lyrics that go along with that hymn. So I'm not getting caught up in melody and and things like that. I'm just thinking about the words at that point. Absolutely. But, and that's what the early uh, church in the 16th, 17th, 18th century would have done. And even in other places still in the world today, they would just take uh, lyrics and then they would have a handful of melodies that everybody knows, uh, maybe because there's not a musically uh, gifted person in the congregation. And then they just sing, we're going to sing this lyric with this melody, and the melodies are named, and that's where we get uh, some some popular melodies that people would know. Um, they were named separate, and then they were put together uh, with the the lyric and the music for people to sing. So that's a great exercise for for people to do if they feel like they can't come up with melodies. All right, let's get really technical here now, Drew. So you've got a psalm, you want to put it to a song. What do you do? Yeah, so there's a variety of approaches to it that I think are right. Um, I don't think that. I'm not going to say anything prescriptive that must be done. Um, But the way it has worked for me and my team, and I've encouraged others to do, is first and foremost, you need to know the psalm. So, read the psalm, pray the psalm, soak in the psalm. Know the psalm so well that it will just come out of your pores when you sweat the labor of trying to write this song. So, it is just going to come out of you. So, you need to understand the psalm. You need to do a little interpretive work. You need to uh, do some do some hermeneutical work in understanding uh, the language of the psalm. You know, you don't have to go to seminary or have a preaching degree to do it, but you can, you can do some basic uh, inductive Bible study on the psalm so that it will be clear what the meaning is of the psalm, what the emphases are of the psalm, and then once you know the psalm and it is just in you, then I'll take it and I'll put it into a Word doc in one column, uh, the ESV or the CSB, whichever translation I'm, I'm working from directly. And by the way, I'll use multiple translations when I'm, when I'm getting to my final because I want to just get just kind of spin the wheel of vocabulary and all of the different wording I could could possibly use in my song. So, I'll take the translation that I'm using, and then in the next column, I'll just start paraphrasing. I'll start just putting it in my own words. And maybe a rhyme will come out, maybe not. It's fine. It's just a real super, super rough draft of just thoughts. It's almost like if I was to sit with my kids and read the psalm and then do a running exposition with dad's paraphrase next to each thought and and kind of reword it for my kids, something like that. And then that's in column two. So, that's kind of step step two or three, whichever, wherever we're at now. And then from there, from that paraphrase, 
that's that's kind of the the tools or the material or the clay that I'll use to start to shape uh, the song, and particularly the lyric. Start to bring out some rhyme, look for rhyming words, look for balanced phrases. When we talk about metered, um, you can just Google, you know, poetry, metered poetry, and there's there's more or less common ways of doing it, but basically boils down to the amount of syllables you have in each line, and I'll try to balance the phrases. That way it's more singable and more rememberable. The rhyme really helps with memory, so you, the rhyming words just really just lock the lyrics uh, together, and so... Get the get some rhyme, get some uh, balanced phrases. Look for look for word uh, word pictures on how to tell the story of the psalm and maintaining the meaning and the emphasis of the psalm all the way throughout. Because what we don't want is we don't want to get it so chewed up in this machine of writing a psalm that once it comes out the other end, it doesn't look or sound or smell or taste or anything like the original the original psalm or what the original psalmist intended. That's the beginning of the the lyrical process of, of going from psalm to a song. Yeah, another challenge in that is some of these psalms are too long uh, to sing as a typical worship song on a Sunday morning. And so, you're really doing that work. Is it like on the one side, we don't want it to be too divorced from the meaning of the text. On the other side, sometimes you're having to condense what sure. the psalmist said. And then another thing, Drew, that I think you especially do so well is uh, we are not Hebrews. We are Christians, and so we are singing these psalms. I love the way that Ryan talked about that. We are we are approaching the psalms with the end in mind, right. with Christ as really the the focus of all of these hopes and all of these praises that the the psalms are singing. And so, when you're writing a psalm, you want to make it a Christian psalm. So, what's what's your method for taking a psalm, especially one that's not you know there are a few psalms that are amazing in their foretelling of Christ and how detailed they're talking about Christ. But there are some Psalms that it's a, it's a little bit more work. I know as a preacher when I'm preaching Psalms too, it's how do I really get to the gospel from this one? So, so how do you go about that process? Yeah, we could basically turn this into a, a Simeon Trust podcast now and talk about uh, different interpreting tools and how do you get from Old Testament to the cross and understanding. But like you said, we're we're not without understanding of, of how this story ends. And so, we look back and we look to the Psalms with cross-colored glasses. And so, we know that that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment in God's salvation. So, big themes in the Psalm, God's salvation, God's anointed king, sin, judgment, God, judgment, God taking our sin from us uh, as far as the East is from the West. How does He do that? in the cross and in Christ. So, so there's some more obvious. You can look at Psalm 22 in the very beginning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, if Jesus quoted it, then it's a pretty straight line from from Jesus's lips back to the psalm. So, we can say, oh, okay, Psalm 22 is a, a Jesus psalm. There's other categories that, that um, scholars will use to uh, apply them to Jesus. But yeah, you want to use just New Testament uh, colored glasses in, in reading these psalms and see how these psalms can apply to Jesus. The the one from this past Sunday, Psalm 91, is a good example of where you see this theme of uh, the lion and the serpent are crushed. And so, that should just send off bells ringing of Genesis 3, of 1 Peter 5, and how 
Satan is a roaring lion, he is a serpent, and he will be crushed by the seed of the woman who is the promised one and who is Christ. So, those kinds of things will trigger. Other times, it's a little bit harder. So, you just, you look uh, and you try to, you try to do honest Bible interpreting work. If it's quoted in the New Testament, if it's alluded to in the New Testament, those are some of the more obvious times that that will make connection to the cross. Um, But other times, you're just looking at big, biblical themes, big biblical theological themes of salvation, redemption, and uh, and judgment. Yeah, and I think Christ's incarnation is another key that, yeah. as we were talking about before, the, the Psalms are for every kind of context and circumstance. Well, Jesus became like one of us. Yeah. So, he was lonely. He was suffering. He was afraid. And so, those same Psalms were sung on his lips in that context, and we can apply it that way and then see his fulfillment, his perfect faith in that, his Absolutely. his uh, right worship in that. And um, yeah, there's, there's really a number of ways that you can get to Jesus, you can get to the cross and the hope of the gospel from the psalm. Right, yeah, he personifies all those things. He is the he is the embodiment of the blessed man who always meditates on God's word, always has it in his heart and even uses it to combat Satan's temptations and lies when he's tempted in the wilderness. He will be the one that comes to judge our enemies. So those imprecatory psalms mm. in light of Christ actually start to make sense that, one, we were the enemy that God was going to condemn, and Christ was condemned in our place. And at that day, we're going to, in Second Thessalonians, in chapter 1, we see this, that at that day that Christ returns, all of those who have harassed the church, all of those that have persecuted the church, they will be on the receiving end of that judgment. We pray that they repent. We pray that they mm. join us on the side of Christ. But if not, there will be a day when that imprecatory psalm is fulfilled through Christ who in Revelation has a sword and, and is riding on a horse coming to do business. Yeah, it made me think of uh, Revelation 12 when he will judge and he will crush uh, the nations like pottery with an iron sword. With, with or, an iron rod, yeah. With an iron rod, that's uh-huh. it. With an iron rod, and, th- and that's obviously language from Psalm, Psalm 2. 2, where why do the nations rage? But uh, but he will he will crush them uh, like pottery with an iron rod. So, kiss the sun. Yeah. Kiss the sun. Boy, there, there we go. So, just make a, make a beeline to the cross. So, then Chase, after we get a lyric, so you've got a lyric, and maybe you've even got a good New Testament connection, you've got a cross connection in there that's natural, then to to get it into a new melody to sing corporately, which is always my goal, my aim when I'm working on a psalm. Yeah, these are not just pretty songs. These are songs that are meant to be sung together. And sometimes, and that's okay for, for people. You don't have to write every psalm uh, song with the hopes that your congregation is going to sing it. Sometimes, like you mentioned, these can just be really useful devotional tools for you in your private devotions and your family devotions. Uh, so, don't don't see this as this has to be the next great psalm song that we're all going to sing forever and ever. Um, but as a as a music minister at Desert Springs Church, when I look at psalms and try to put them to music, I think, how can this help? Our congregation. How can I serve the congregation in, in giving them this song to sing? So, going back to the personification of the congregation as one person, I think, what what kind of melodies can they sing? So, I know, so that gives me, I'm not just starting from scratch, that gives me some ground to work on. Um, but then I will look at the psalm, and I think you mentioned this, and try to 
match the tone of the music to the tone of the text. So this is true in any kind of song uh, songwriting when you're trying to use the Bible. And so I'm going to look at the psalm. Is it a is it a psalm of lament? Is it a psalm of praise and joy? That will affect the sound and the melody of the song. If we're going to sing Psalm 130 from Depths of Woe, which is Martin Luther's lyric that I put to music, we're not going to sing it in a happy major key. Everything's fine. Everything's fine from Depths of Woe. I cry to thee. Um, it, it needs to be appropriate. Uh, Calvin said that the, the music needed to have, uh, needed to be majestic, but also modest, need to be weighty and dignified. Uh, so it needs to it needs to match the text. And so for a psalm like Psalm uh, one hundred, we're gonna we're gonna praise right. That's gonna be an exultant, uh, exuberant uh, sounding song. So that's gonna be more major, more more uh, uplifting, more maybe upbeat even to to help our bodies because music is a way of engaging our whole man, our whole self in worship. And so I want to help the congregation engage their bodies, their voices, their breath, their their hands, their legs in praise to God. So so what does the psalm what does the psalm sound like basically as you read it? What does it sound like? And so that'll help me get at least a sonic direction, a tonal direction for which which way to go with the melody. One practical thing that I that I do uh, is I'll just sit at the piano or with my guitar and I'll just look at the psalm. I'll just be reading it, maybe reading my paraphrase or even reading the lyric that I've got, whatever phase I'm in lyrically, and then I'll just start singing it. Just whatever comes out. And I imagine many people just probably do this if they if they enjoy singing at all. They might just do this in their homes naturally. But I just start singing it and just kind of see what what comes out from there. And a, a lot of times melodies will will come from that. Um, and then and then another thing for me practically is I keep a, a backlog of recorded melodies whenever I come up with one. Hmm. I, I'll often come up with uh, progressions or, or melodies uh, without um, lyrics, just, the, just separate the from yeah. any lyric or, or focus. And so I've just got a back catalog of dozens of these. And so I'll go through and see if any of those match. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they're close, and I need to tweak it. Um, but but. Um, uh, Oftentimes, I'll go back and find something that will either work or it'll inspire something that, that can work. I've been telling my, my team that mu- music writing a lot of times is, is a lot like pottery. A ceramicist, as, as one pastor here uh, used to say a lot, um, will take their clumps of clay and, uh, and, and put it together and then, and then shape it. Right, and, and sometimes they've got too much clay, and you just get rid of it. And so that's songwriting is a is a is a process of of bringing in the clay. And you could say that the the lyrics are one chunk of clay, and the music is another chunk of clay. And you got to put those chunks together, and then start molding it and making it. So you put them together, you start shaping it, and again, you might add in some more clay, or you might take out the clay, and you're gonna you're gonna shape, you're gonna cut, and then once it's once it's useful, once it's something that is useful, then it can go through the, uh, the kiln, the fire of, uh, of hardening, of finalizing that clay. And that, that final kiln for me is singing in it corporately. So, whether you know it or not, Desert Springs Church, you are the final phase of songwriting. Uh, because I will, I will introduce a song to our congregation, and if they don't sing it back to me, then I know we've got work to do. Uh, it needs to be changed. Maybe the key is too high. Maybe it's too low. Maybe it's too fast. Maybe it's too slow. Something needs to change or 
there's been times, and you may have noticed this if you've if you've been at our church for any amount of time, where songs will just go away because they're just not they're just not as useful. So not every song is going to have the same shelf life. Not every song that I write and present to our church I expect to just last forever. There are many songs that I've written that we've sang sung at our church. It served its purpose for a time, but then it just goes away, and that's okay. Uh, so Drew, I would assume that the plan would be when if and when we can all get back together that we'd try to make some more formal recordings of this, but you're already recording these psalms as we're going. Yes, we put them in a very rough form. Uh, I'm just recording them in my house on my iPhone and then putting them in a Dropbox to, to catalog all of these psalms from Psalm 90 to 100. And so we've put that out through social media and through emails that have gone out. If you want that, just email me, drew at dscabq.com. I can send you a link to that. And then you can get a simple chart and a simple recording of just me and an instrument. Um, and then you can use those in your own personal uh, devotion times. Well, brother, I've already been blessed by the the psalms that we have put together. Looking forward to hearing the rest of these. Thank you for all of your hard work in that. Thank Amen. you to your team. Uh, please keep it up. And with that, we'll bring this episode to a close. Uh, you've been listening to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. If you'd like more information or updates about what we've got going on at DSC, just go to our website, dscabq.com, and we will bring uh, another episode to you next week. We're thinking about the topic of worship, right, Drew? A little more broadly. So mm-hmm. uh, join us next week for the topic of worship. Until then, on behalf of Drew Hodge, I'm Chase Jacobs. Let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper. Welcome back to the DS. That's not right. <laughs> It was a good welcome back. Do you ever think of Zelda? Luther. Maybe we should do a podcast about about psalm songs. Writing psalm songs? I wonder how many times I'm going to say psalm song. They're like Keebler L. That's Southern accent. Oh, yeah, let's not do that. Maybe we do psalms. I don't know.